Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Lockdown Indians podcast. My name is Jeff Ellis. I'm the host of the podcast. If you're just listening to us for the first time, thanks for our recent partnership with WKYC Cleveland. Before I hosted the Lockdown Indians podcast, I was the lead MLB draft and prospect analyst for 24-7 sports and then scout before that. Now I get to talk about the Indians all the time. Normally, that's a really fun thing to do. Uh, not so much tonight, not after game one of the postseason, uh, a game that no one would have predicted the outcome and what we ended up seeing. I have a lot to talk about involving game one. Uh, there were some positives. We'll get into that. There were negatives. Uh, we'll dig into the performance, the players. And then for our second half of the show today, we're going to talk game two. We're going to talk about what's concerning heading into game two and what's advantageous about game two for the Cleveland Indians and why I think. They are set up to win game two. Maybe I'm being hopelessly uh, optimistic, but uh, sometimes you have to be when you're a Cleveland sports fan, right? So let's get into game one. Uh, I want to thank everyone for just listening and watching the show. After a game like game one makes it so you kind of want to take a break from baseball for a bit. I totally get that, uh, especially when you have the best pitcher on the planet and the guy who put up one of the greatest seasons in Indians history, which is saying something, because we've had some great seasons in recent memory between Kluber, Sabathia, Cliff Lee. Uh, what Bieber did this year in a smaller sample uh, blew those all out of the water. And you're looking at a guy who I believe had 12 starts over the course of this year and gave up 14 runs in those 12 starts. Seven runs given up today. That's, you know, quick math. That's half as many runs in one start as he gave up the entire season it ties his previous high for runs given up in the game not an ideal time for him to have his worst start of his career it was interesting if you were listening I was watching the stat, stat cast game uh, I don't really know how that differs from the normal one but that was what I had on that's what I chose that when they interviewed Carl Willis he just seemed to want to blame it on jitters but I, I don't know if it was necessarily jitters uh, I think there's two big components to why Shane Bieber had such an awful game. The first one, if you've listened to the podcast recently on Monday on this podcast, I talked about the Yankees had a secret weapon, and that was Matt Blake. Uh, he was mentioned briefly on the uh, broadcast I was listening to. And Matt Blake was in the minors and helped develop uh, Plesak, Bieber, and Savali. There is no coach, there is no person outside the Indians organization that knows the Indians pitching staff better than Matt Blake. And he helped the Yankees come up with a perfect plan for facing Shane Bieber. Now, normally you can put that perfect plan in, pit, in place, a lot of peas there. And Shane Bieber is so good that it doesn't matter or it would limit damage. But when he's having an off night, when he is not as sharp, when he is not hitting his spots quite the way he should, it was just a recipe for disaster. Now, on top of that, there's kind of a third reason too. Uh, Shane Bieber, if you look at his one weakness, he is prone to giving up home runs. He is prone to the long ball. Yankees had the most runs via the home run, or the highest percentage of their runs that came via home runs of any team in the American League. So it's a bad matchup for him. But again, when you're as good as Shane Bieber is on most nights, it shouldn't matter. But when you combine those three uh, facts together, the inside information, the off night, and you know the worst team for him to face, that's when you end up giving up seven runs and having your worst start of your career. Don't want to belabor the point too much. Uh, Shane Bieber has been so good that I'm just going to look at this as a blip that maybe it was just nerves. Yeah, the, the other point on the broadcast came across about him looking down that 
you know, is there conspiracies of something wrong with the mound? It didn't affect uh, Garrett Cole at all. It didn't bother him in the slightest. He looked every bit like the guy he had been in past years. 13 strikeouts making the Indians look silly. Outside of Josh Naylor, that's our, our big positive takeaway. I think you can be positive about Josh Naylor and Jose Ramirez. Uh, the Indians had eight hits, four of them by Naylor. And Jose Ramirez had a hit and a walk, so he's the only other batter who reached base twice in this game. He knocked in the first run of the game. We'll talk about Naylor in a second. Rest of the lineup, uh, Lindor has been scuffling a bit of late. I, you know, He's kind of the face of the franchise, though. Jose Ramirez over the past few seasons has been the better offensive player. Uh, one could make the case he's been just the better player for the Cleveland Indians in terms of hot takes that you can put out there. Uh, they need a more consistent Lindor, and that's been an issue throughout this entire season is his consistency. Uh, Fran Mill Reyes started the year really badly. Then for about a month and a half or so, he was the Indians' best hitter. And then he cooled down a lot and is started swinging at everything again. Uh, not what the Indians need. They need that guy who was, you know, hitting everything and hitting it hard like he was in the middle of the year, especially going into Tuesday's game. Uh, Tanaka should eat Fran Mill Reyes up. It's a really bad matchup for him. And then Carlos Santana, the other player to talk about in terms of top of the lineup hitters. He had three home runs over the last week of the year. Before that, his previous three home runs, and he had, I think he had at the end with either seven or eight. Can't remember right now, top of my head. But the previous three took a month and a half. So I thought he was getting hot at the right time. Not a great game one. And expecting and hoping for big things in game two I think he is a good matchup against someone like Tanaka who sits around the edges of the zone uh, with Santana's eye and approach he might be an ideal candidate for the Indians to have a breakup performance in that second game but let's talk Josh Naylor for a second let's dig into his performance uh, he is the big positive in this one he is the guy that uh, at least you can go back and be like well at least there was Josh Naylor the big home run and that was a no doubter Garrett Cole has been home run prone all year. Uh, a lot of hard hit percentage. I think he's bottom 10 in the league in that. I know he had a bad three-game stretch, but he still got hit hard in other games as well. And Naylor took advantage of it. He also had two doubles and a pretty nice catch late in the game, jumping up against the wall. The stat I saw from uh, uh, Sarah Lang's S. Lang on sports was that he becomes the fifth hitter uh, in Indians history to have a four hit game in the postseason in 2001 of the ALDS in game three. We had both Juan Gonzalez and Omar Vizquel have a four hit game. Uh, Manny Ramirez in the 1995 ALCS game two and Vic Wirtz in the 1954 World Series game one. So pretty elite company. And I think I saw it's the first time ever a player in their uh, postseason debut had a four for four performance. So something, something you can cling to if you're an Indians fan. Uh, overall, to me, this was more of a game that I saw as a, a seven to three matchup. Uh, those last five runs, Adam Simber and Cam Hill are the last guys out of your pen. If this was a 25 man roster and not a 28 man roster, uh, well, I guess now it's always going to be a 26 man roster. Uh, but if it's a 26 man roster, uh, Adam Simber isn't here. That's just be honest, the goodness truth. He's one of the last additions. I don't think he's in Cleveland in that case. And Camp Hill may not be either. They were there just to soak up innings when it was clear the game got out of hand. Those last five runs don't 
I mean, it makes the score look worse, but in the grand scheme of things, those are guys who are out there only because of where the score was. And if this was a close game, they're not anywhere near the mound. So yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to be positive. I'm going to say that, well, Shane Bieber got out of the system. It's really more seven to three. Carlos Santana is going to have a, a, a big game coming up and Josh Naylor is announcing himself on the national stage. Let's keep it positive, right? Helping to support our show today is Ohio vs. Everyone. That's Ohio BS Everyone. If you are not familiar with Ohio vs. Everyone, it's a website that is devoted to all Ohio teams. So if you want to go read about the Indians and the Reds because you're hoping for a battle of Ohio, go check out Ohio vs. Everyone today. If you want to go read about Indians content in this game that is not 90% New York Yankees and 10% Cleveland Indians, go to Ohio vs. Everyone. That's Ohio vs. Everyone. And Matt, who runs it, uh, Matt uh, Bretz, I have known for years on Twitter. Sorry if I butchered your last name, I probably did. Really knows the history, really knows the small details, does a lot of great uh, articles and information on the Cleveland Indians. So if you wanna go get a Ohio slant on sports, go check out Ohio versus everyone today. So second half of this show is about game two. Now I've already done a little bit of talk, talking about why I think Fran Mel Reyes is not uh, set up to succeed and why I think Carlos Santana is, but let's talk about the strengths and weaknesses of this matchup. I think on paper, Carlos Carrasco is the better pitcher than Tanaka. And I think you can go through pretty much every stat and pull that out to be the case, except for postseason experience and postseason performance. Uh, Tanaka in his first seven games allowed two or less runs in the postseason. He, that was a record. He, when he was at six, he was tied for the longest stretch of two or less runs allowed in your first six starts with Sandy Koufax. Uh, his eighth start was uh, a real stinker. He gave up three runs. He has gone at least five innings in every single start in the postseason. And his, it's been kind of his calling card that he has been that guy for the New York Yankees. He has been a solid, steady arm. And in the postseason, he seems to take it up a, a notch. So you have a guy who, this is what he's known for. If you are a Yankees fan, he is who you want on the mound, maybe even more so than Garrett Cole because of history and level of performance we have seen with Tanaka. The Indian side of things, Carlos Carrasco, surprisingly, this is just his second postseason start. He, due to injuries in 2016, was not part of the run to the World Series. And in 2017 and 2018, he only got one start. It's the Indians only lasted one round in those postseasons. He was fantastic in both of those starts. Uh, both unfortunately were losses though. It's why you can't really look at a, a loss necessarily as a, as a great indicator stat or a great source of information because you need to look beyond it and see the, the data and the performance and the data and performance show that Crasco has pitched well when given those opportunities. And I think that's what you kind of want to look at and talk about in particular is Carlos Crasco is now one of the elder statesmen. Uh, he spent a lot of time being the second or third option uh, behind Corey Kluber and at points Trevor Bauer. And now he's he's the man in terms of he's been there, he's been with the Indians for so long, and he's been through a lot with this team. And that's something else you have to, you can't look past. Uh, an elimination game isn't scary to Carlos Carrasco. Carlos Carrasco a year ago was fighting cancer and beat it. And at the start of this year, even you look at performance wise, I had people on this podcast being like, He's going to be a great weapon in the bullpen in the postseason. He is going to be this great 
uh, guy in the eighth inning. That's what, what's going to happen. I just don't think he's going to work as a starter. And he did have some struggles at the start of the year, but he came back strong and he earned a chance to be the number two starter for the Cleveland Indians. He performed well and he kept getting better as the year went on. And that's what you want. You want a guy who is going into the postseason at peak, and that's Carlos Carrasco. Again, as, as I was listening to the broadcast, I talked about the Indians need a hero. They need someone they can rally around, who can make a big impact early. And I know the implication was they need an offensive hero. They need to stake a lead and get out. And they do need to do that because the Yankees didn't have to use any of their high leverage arms. So if Tanaka has a lead, he's only going five, and they're going to go right into that deep pen of theirs. But if you're the Cleveland Indians, they have that hero, and they have someone they rally around. And this team has rallied around Carlos Carrasco for the last two seasons. And even if you go back and think about the incident that happened with Clevenger and Plesak, when the players spoke about it, they always spoke about, you know, we have Cookie, and you have to worry and think about what this means to him. And if you think they aren't going to rally around Carlos Carrasco pitching on the mound tomorrow, then think you're underestimating just how much he means to his teammates and to that team in general. He's the hero they need. He's the guy that this team can rally around. This is his chance for his third postseason start. That's a big deal. This is, you know, being on the big stage, a game that uh, is going to be a national television game that still carries some cachet even today. He's going to get a chance to go out there and save his team. And again, no moment in baseball is too big for Carlos Crasco because he sat there and he, before his cancer, even when he signed his first contract in Cleveland, he had to deal with a heart condition. So the guy who's overcome two serious uh, illnesses and still comes out and plays at a high level. I'm a huge Carlos Carrasco fan. I think it's hard to be an Indians fan and not be, just knowing that he's overcome the fact that this is a guy who's consistently taking less money because he loves Cleveland and wants to stay here. Uh, he's the guy you want on the mound. Yes, in an ideal world, you have. Shane Bieber on the mound in any elimination game, and he would pitch like the Shane Bieber we saw in his starts during the, the season, not in that postseason start. But in a world where, in the world we are now, where Bieber had that game, and you don't have him as an option game too, I can't think of a better pitcher on the mound than Carlos Carrasco. Uh, on the Yankee side of things, they have the guy they want on the mound. So the Indians have to go out there and win a low-scoring affair. That's what's going to happen throughout the entire season. That's what happened. Uh, even in game one, you know, the Indians scored three runs. Historically, throughout the year this year, when they scored three, one, three runs or more, they won. That was all they needed. The pitching was there. It was able to support them. And if you gave that much offense, the Cleveland Indians won a majority of their games, a high percentage. It didn't happen in game one. Pitching was not there. And it's something that... Uh, this team had come to expect and it just didn't happen. Occasionally things don't go right. They need to get another three runs. I think that's very possible to get three or four runs off Tanaka, especially when you're looking at Jose Ramirez. Like I said, I think Carlos Santana is set up to play well. I think Josh Naylor's got this chance to grow, to show even more, to take another step forward in terms of his performance. He has to have all the confidence in the world after it seemed that he could do no wrong in game one. So I'm predicting that even though they have a very tough opponent, even though the Yankees have a loaded offense and a fantastic bullpen, the Indians are going to pull through in game two. That They're going to rally around Carlos Carrasco, and they're going to do just enough to get to game three. In game three, all bets are off. Uh, Zach Plesak at points this year has been as good as Shane Bieber. Uh, it gives the Indians kind of an advantage in terms of 
whether the Yankees throw Garcia or Hap in a game three, but they need Carlos Grasco to be peak Carlos Grasco. They need the lineup to step up a little bit more, and they need to be able to get through so they can get that third game. This series is not over. Don't throw in the towel yet. There's a lot of reasons to think that the Cleveland Indians are still alive, and it begins with that starting pitching, which has been such a strength all year. And it is a moment for Carlos Carrasco to step up and kind of maybe have his signature Cleveland Indians moment. He does not have that in my mind yet in terms of on-the-field performance. This is his chance to have that moment for the Cleveland Indians. I've been Jeff Ellis. I'm the host of the Lock on Indians podcast. You can find me on Twitter at Jeff MLB Draft. I just had my first mock draft for the 2021 MLB Draft go up. If uh, you're curious about that, you can find the link on my profile. As always, I want to thank everyone who's downloading, listening, rating, and reviewing. It means so much for our podcast. I want to thank WKYC for this fantastic opportunity to uh, join their uh, full production. It's uh, a dream come true for a kid who grew up in Northeastern Ohio. And as always, go Tribe.